Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio is brought to you by Gamers Inn, where adventure begins. Check out their website at gamersinlehigh.com. Broadcasting live from the DCR studio. Oh, yeah! The Geek Revolution starts here. Excellent! Get ready for the number one hit geek radio show out there. Well, it is impressive, isn't it? Because it's time for Dungeon Crawlers Radio. All right, welcome to another exciting episode of Dungeon Callers Radio, and uh, we're all here. So we've got Dan Wells, author Dan Wells. Hi, everyone. How are you? We've got the U Geek Media guys, Dennis and Adrian, in, in here. We got, yeah, we got Savart and Tyrannus. How's it going? Hello. We're all here. Uh, it's a little crazy. We're in a cramped space, a but room. we can do this. No, no one can see us. I know. This we is can, the best part. We can be anywhere we want to be. I know. We're in we like the middle of a wide open field. We are okay. Wide open field, no oh. crickets, no birds. Well, I was actually feeling jealous of Harry Potter for a moment. Oh, wide yeah. open field works. <laughs> Harry Potter. Well, I mean, we do. You know, we do joke that we have the, the uh, Pikachu powered TARDIS behind us. Uh, so uh, yeah, so great show uh, tonight. We'll be talking lots of great stuff. Uh, Dan just came back from being on the set of his soon to be movie of Absolutely. I Am Not a Serial Killer. Uh, which stars Max, Max Records and uh, Christopher Lloyd. And Laura Fraser. Which, if you don't know who she is, she was the black, woman blacksmith in uh, A Night's Tale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And <laughs> and more recently, and, and probably more famously, she was Lydia on the final season of Breaking Bad. Nice. Okay. Uh, the lady that ran yeah. the thing that helped ship all the meth to Europe. Oh. Yes. That is right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So we're very excited to have a meth dealer. On yes, you have a meth dealer. <laughs> woo and then you got Crazy Doc Brown. Mm-hmm. So may, maybe that's why Crazy Doc Brown is that way. Makes sense now. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. He's got the meth hookup. He's got the meth hookup. No, just kidding. Uh, he did have that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, well, yeah, we, we can just jump into that right now. So it's got to be really awesome to have – you've gone through the process of having the excitement of having your book on the shelf, mm-hmm. but now it's a movie. I mean, how do you top that? By, by having more people buy the book. <laughs> because of the movie, yeah, um, the, the movie is really exciting. I mean, I, I we've been working on this for years. Uh, they bought the option five or six years ago. I've been working really closely with the director and the producers ever since. And uh, early last year, we finally got the um, money. We had an investor who was willing to pony it up because it's an indie production rather than a big studio. And so we've gone into overdrive. We finally got a cast. They've been filming now for two and a half weeks. Um, probably two and a half more weeks to finish it off, so they're halfway done. Um, and it's just super cool. I mean, I, as excited as I was, now that I've met the crew and I've met the cast and I've seen what they're doing with it, I'm like a million times more excited now because I think it's actually going to be a good movie. Cool. 
<laughs> now, and you also have a uh, uh, Toby Frown that's doing the yeah. monster design. Yeah, the the monster team is uh, Toby Froud, who is uh, you know the 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 credit everyone immediately pops out for him is he was the little baby in uh, Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Yeah, uh, but he's actually an accomplished artist and puppeteer in his own right. He works for Leica Studios in Portland, which does the box trolls and Coraline and mm-hmm. all those kind of things. So. Um, he is also an Oscar-nominated, you know, effects guy. In addition to being the baby from Labyrinth, but he's the baby from Labyrinth. Uh, the other guy that is uh, working closely with him, uh, Toby is doing all the behind-the-scenes design, mm-hmm. and then the person who is actually doing the effects on set is Todd Jones, who, uh, you know, all the all the like hardcore special effects geeks in the audience just freaked out because he's really, really big. He's been around long enough that he actually worked on Labyrinth and Dark Crystal back oh, in wow. the day. Uh, he did a lot of the puppetry work in John Carter and things like that. Um, he's a fantastic puppeteer and creature guy. I actually have an interview with him that's up on my website right now that you can go listen to. So Nice. He, he, he's, he's great. So you've got to be excited because you've got a really solid cast you mm-hmm. know, with, with Doc Brown and, and Max Records. And I remember several times we've talked about this, and that's, that was your dream person to play John. Yes. Um, he, Max Records is most famous for being the kid in Where the Wild Things Are, Yeah. also named Max. Um, and I saw that movie and thought, you know, he's, he's fantastic. He'd be perfect John Cleaver. Mm-hmm. And so I called the director and said, hey, uh, we really need to get this kid. He'd be great. And he said, well, okay, I'll look into it. And then like the very next day, before he even had a chance to follow up on it, uh, the producer called him and said, hey, I just finished working on a project with uh, this kid. He'd be absolutely perfect for your movie. And it was also Max Records. So the wow. producer and I both kind of cherry-picked this kid um, uh, to be our dream casting for John Cleaver. And honestly, he's amazing. Um, as as much as everyone is excited about Christopher Lloyd, and Christopher Lloyd is legitimately fantastic in the role, yeah. uh, this is going to be a breakout, you know, Max Records is going to be a superstar. Awesome. He he is going to be amazing. He is he's fantastic to watch him, and uh, I certainly hope that people look back and go, "Yeah, this is the movie that made him a star." That would be awesome. Or yeah. people will look back and say, "Yeah, this is that movie he did, you know, that no one ever saw," and then he became a big star the next year. <laughs> <laughs> so if this does well, are they hoping to do the other books, or is it just they're just focusing on this one for now? They're focusing on this one for now. They're we're kind of sort of planning ahead mm-hmm. but it's not basically planning ahead in that we're leaving our options open okay so for example um we specifically did not put marcy into the movie at all mm-hmm. even though she does have you know a couple of scenes and lines in the first book because she's such a huge character in the third book we wanted to you know rather than just cast whoever we could desperately trying to cast people in time uh we wanted to leave that open and and if the other movies get made then we'll have time to really find the right person nice so this way we were able to focus on the rest of the cast and get like a really great april and a really great brooke and all those things so they do own the option for the entire trilogy and uh, they would love to make more if they get a chance though honestly there's a there's a there's a part of me that uh kind of secretly hopes that the movie just tanks because then <laughs> playing John Cleaver is hard. 
Um, you know, it is not a really great headspace to be in, and I I know that from having written the books yeah. and watching Max go through the process of playing it. Like, you know, this kind of paternal side of me is like, oh, <laughs> poor guy. Poor kid. Yeah. I hope this movie fails so he never has to do this again. <laughs> but that's a very small part. Really, I just want to torture him as much as possible with all the movies we can make. Awesome. Now, you got to have a small cameo in the movie as well. Yes. Uh, I appeared as Guy trudging through the icy poop ditch for an hour. <laughs> um, at the very end, uh, one of the very last shots of the movie is uh, these two cops and, and two paramedics pulling a body out of the woods. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll be cagey about whose body it is for anyone who hasn't read the book. Um, and so that that was my job. I was the cop in the front holding the stretcher. And uh, the the body on the stretcher is actually Todd Jones because uh, we didn't have the actual actor uh, of the dead person on set at the time, so we just threw John on the or Todd on the stretcher and covered his face so you couldn't tell, and then we carried him. And in order to get the shot right, you know, you have to do several takes. Yeah. And what they wanted to do was that there was this long kind of pathway through the woods, uh, and so they set up a camera at one end, and we went down to the other end. It was about 80 feet, and we just walked towards the camera. And then we would go back and do it again, over and over. And it was about six inches of slush ice water that every dog owner in the entire city of Virginia, Minnesota, apparently takes their dog to poop there. (laughs) And uh, it was just a a delightful dream that I Uh, hope I get to relive forever. (laughs) Relive forever. So, I mean, because of all the snowstorms and that, was there a lot of snow? Because you guys really needed that type of an environment or... Because it, it sounds like slush, mm-hmm. or was the snow melting like fast? Well, that's the primary reason that we did. We filmed this in Virginia, Minnesota. We had been looking at a lot of different places um, in Michigan. We actually looked at a lot of, of small towns here in Utah, um, you know, and we found a lot of places that had the right look, but nowhere where we could guarantee there would be snow during March while we're filming. Yeah. Except in northern Minnesota, and so we well. Alaska was also an option, but it looks so distinctly Alaskan that there was no way to really fake it as being anywhere else. Okay. Um, So we're there, and, you know, the day that I arrived was like March 1st or 2nd, uh, and we started filming February 28th. Uh, There was a huge snowstorm, and it covered everything. And so then we spent about a week and a half filming every exterior scene that we could. Everything that takes place outside, everything that needed snow, just film all of those and ignore everything else. And by the end... Uh, by the time I was leaving on the 11th, uh, yeah, we were the snow was melting. There was a lot of slush everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll it'll still work. It'll still look good. I just wish we'd had like four more days before it had started melting. Yeah. But anyway, they're done with all that, and now they're down in Minneapolis to do all the interior stuff. So the mortuary scenes, the school scenes, the therapist scenes, uh, John and his mom in their house, like all of that stuff is just inner interior sets in Minneapolis. Nice. So, is it is the way, the process they're using to film? Is it quite quite similar to writing a book, where you know you kind of bounce around a little bit, or I mean, was that well, different? I well, I mean, I guess if your question is, is it different? Yes, well, it's yeah. wildly different yeah. from writing a book. Um, I write everything chronologically. Okay. With one or two minor exceptions, I do everything chronologically, and movies don't even pretend like they're going to be chronological. Um, they will, you know, do things like this where they film all the exterior stuff and even those are out of order. Um, 
they do things in, you know, there were a lot of the scenes where we filmed where we didn't even have half the actors on the set. Um, and also we were filming everything with Christopher Lloyd first so that then he could leave. Uh, this being, what, two and a half, almost three weeks into the shoot, he might be done at this point. Oh, wow. And then they'll just film all all of everything else. So uh, they bounce around. It was really interesting for me. This is the first time, I mean, I've, uh, back when I had a real job, I did a lot of fitness infomercials and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and so I'm familiar with the process of film creation. But uh, this is the first time I've seen a movie, you know, something with a really strong narrative. And they broke it down not just scene by scene, but literally shot by shot. Hmm. You know, we need to film this scene, which is going to involve, you know, one camera that is outside looking at Mr. Crowley as he walks out of his house and says something to his wife. And then another shot uh, where the same scene happens, but the camera is looking out of John's window as he is watching all of this happen. You know, and then another one maybe we want behind uh, Kay's shoulder while she talks to Mr. Crowley. You know, all these different things. It broken down shot by shot, how long they're going to be. And so every night they look at their list and say, well, these are the seven things we need to get tomorrow. This is the order we're going to do them in. And they might all be from the same scene. They might not be. It's just the the level of planning that goes into it blows my mind. Wow. I never realized they did that. Yeah. When you watch a movie, I. I mean, you do see the kind of the different angles and you just think, oh, they're just, you know, they just do that one at a time. They're not breaking all that down. I guess when you're paying a big movie star, you know, thirty million dollars. Is your mic on? That's fun. Huh? Can you hear me now? Hold He's on. saying such brilliant things. I wish yeah. you guys could hear it. Say it now. Can you hear me now? No, nope, for some reason it's not going. Oh, here, here. Say it into this one. What in the world? Okay, my my wow, mic is so much better. Oh, is that better? Not, yeah. Not, am I too close? You can. No, you're, too you're, well you're awesome. All right. So I, I guess when you're spending thirty million dollars or, or paying thirty million dollars to a big uh, Hollywood star. For two or three weeks worth of work, you got to make it count, right? Yeah. So man. I wish I could make that much money for yeah. two or three weeks yeah. worth of work. And, and, and then you spend the next six months to a year putting all the special effects into it, making it all cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what happens next. Uh, they finish filming sometime first or second week of April, and then they go into post production, trying to get the effects worked out. Um, at which point, when we have a final product, or or at least a, a mostly final product. We will spend that time taking it around to film festivals, you know, see if we can get it into Sundance, see if we can get it into South by Southwest, see mm-hmm. if we can get into places like that. Um, and then someone will see it, some studio will, will look at it and love it and, and think it's brilliant and, and distribute it in a wide release. Hmm. We hope. Yeah. I mean, knock on wood. So what is the target time frame to hopefully get it out? I mean... Um, our goal is to, I mean, honestly, our goal is to hit Sundance next year. Okay. So January of 2016, uh, will be its debut. And, you know, we can't guarantee that, but that's what we're shooting for. Okay. Uh, we've got an in with Sundance already. The producer, uh, one of our, our two producers has, has worked with them before. So we, we have high hopes. Uh, but you know, you have to submit it to their, to their board and hope that they like it enough to, to take it. Um, if that happens, you know, I, I I wouldn't dare to speculate on when it would actually be in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, best case scenario, sometime in 2016. Okay. Presumably fall. Well, I mean, definitely if you, if you get to Sundance, 
hey, we want to go see the we want to go see the show. Oh, if it comes to Sundance, we uh, we hope to be doing a couple of different uh, local right. events and stuff so people can see it. Uh, so are you planning like net Netflix distribution and stuff like that too? Or Man, that would be good still, too. Still looking at. Well, I mean, that's two or three years out for that. Presumably, I have not been privy to to the actual distribution plans, but yeah, I mean, goal number one is that to see if we can actually get this into theaters, but. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely, we want to have some form of digital distribution, whether that ends up being Netflix or Hulu or, or Amazon or whatever it is. And then, of course, it'll be on DVD. And if nothing else, then, you know, the handful of fans can buy it and yeah. recoup somewhat the cost of its production. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, were, were there any moments while you were there on set where you're watching this and you're like, wow, this is better than what I wrote? Or Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so the lake scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm spoiling this for everyone who hasn't read it. Um, the the monster is uh, a shapeshifter who steals body parts from yeah. people. Okay, that's what Mr. Crowley does. Huge spoiler warning. Sorry. Um, and so there's a scene. The the very first scene that John figures this out is he's trying to figure out who this serial killer is, and he realizes, oh, it's actually a supernatural monster. And poor Mr. Crowley has been unable to breathe for several chapters now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's coughing all the time. Uh, he can't breathe very well. And then he uh, takes this guy out ice fishing. And while they're alone and isolated on the lake, he kills him and, you know, rips his own lungs out, takes the healthy lungs out of this other guy's chest, puts them in his body and, you know, then hides the body and, and goes on. And now he's got new lungs that work. And I wrote that as kind of a really horrific scene because its yeah. purpose in the book was to say, Look, this is actually supernatural, and also it's really bad, and John's going to have to do something to stop this guy. And that's all still in the movie, but the way Chris plays it is, uh, you know, and, and we spent a whole day doing this, and he takes the lungs out, and, you know, he, he rips his own lungs out, and at that point can't breathe because he doesn't have lungs, so he's kind of like... Mm-hmm. completely silent, gasping for air, but can't breathe, and then he finally gets the other lungs in, and takes what'll be his first deep breath in like the last 45 minutes of the movie. And he finally can breathe. And, and he just kind of pauses and he breathes really deep. And he looks up at the sky and just takes these big deep breaths. And all of a sudden in that moment, he gives that character this incredible humanity. Yeah. You know? And the audience that has just watched him brutally murder a guy and rip out his lungs <laughs> is going to go, Oh yay, he can breathe again. <laughs> and you know, like like the scene in Psycho where uh Norman Bates is trying to hide the the poor girl's body that his mom just killed and he's trying to sink it into the to the mud pit and it won't sink all the way. And you're like, "Oh no. He won't be able to hide it." And you realize suddenly you're sympathizing with this horrible person and because Chris is playing the role so well, that comes across. Wow. And I had not intended it to be this kind of sympathetic, humanizing moment, and he makes it into one, and it's brilliant. Nice. Mm-hmm. And now that I've just talked it up, like that'll be cut out of the movie altogether. Oh, so. oh no, I hope not. Hopefully not. That sounds like an amazing, uh, an amazing scene. And it's kind of, I guess it's kind of cool. I mean, so I mean, you're sitting here saying Chris, like you know Christopher Lloyd. Well, I got to hang out <laughs> with him for a while. It was great. Yeah. Which is. Pretty cool. Um, he is he is really cool. He is really snarky. Yeah. And was like wisecracking and kind of teasing people the mm-hmm. whole time. It was it was awesome. 
Wow. Um, you know, because we're filming in the snow. Our specific purpose was let's do all the cold, snowy outside scenes right now. Yeah. And so a lot of those are late night murders. <laughs> and so there was one where, uh, you know, uh, the, the monster kills somebody out in the middle of like a field. Um, and so it's isolated and it was 10 below thing or 10 below zero. And we had the poor actor laying on the ground with this big kind of rubber guts thing, thing poking yeah. through his shirt. And he was covered with blood. So he was cold and wet. Yeah. And the whole crew was out there in like six layers of stuff. And we have heaters going just off camera and, and blankets and things. And and Christopher Lloyd was inside an SUV a block away with the heater like on full blast. <laughs> so we did everything we could do without him because he's like 80 years old. And yeah. We want him to die of hypothermia. And when it was finally time to get him, uh, one of the production assistants ran over and said, are you ready to go? Come on out, but make sure you put your gloves on because it's really cold out here. And he laughs and says, yeah, I wouldn't know. I'm <laughs> <laughs> inside of this nice hot car. Wow. That that's, that sounds like fun. I mean, it's really cool because it's a great book. Um, and it, it's, it's exciting to see, it will be exciting to see that in the movie format and see this of it mm-hmm. so um that just has to be so it has to be exciting so how is everyone else in your family kind of circling around this idea because it's turned into outright game of thrones they're all jockeying for power yeah <laughs> once i become rich and famous yes. he's gonna bump me off and inherit everything i own <laughs> that's all it is now well i mean there's got there's got to be that moment where you can just like look at your mother-in-law and say hey look look what's come of my obsession because <laughs> i know for a while there's just kind of like yeah, my Are friend said uh, last week I was hanging out. Uh, I was Alexi, actually, yeah. a mutual friend of ours. He said, behind every successful man is an amazing mother-in-law. <laughs> and I thought, yep. I like that one. <laughs> my mother-in-law in particular, you know, she's a fan of the books, but she continues to harbor this uh, totally non-secret suspicion that uh, I actually am a, a horrifying psychopath. And so, you know, every new success, she's like, yay, that's great. But aren't you a little nervous about him? <laughs> Don't you think that comes with territory, though? I mean, I've, I've met quite a few authors who are um, horror, speculative fiction yeah. that has some sort of horror in it. It's like, this came out of your head. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was never anywhere else. All of a sudden, this came out of your head, and it's like, kind of just par for the course, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. My sister read uh, the the first book, I'm Not a Serial Killer, and emailed me and said, well, I don't know which is scarier, the book or the fact that my brother wrote it. <laughs> You've been in my house. You know, we used to live in the adjoining rooms. Um, so, yeah, most fans just think it's cool, but my family members, because of that connection, are a little weirded out at times. And, you know, especially the ones who have read uh, the new book that's coming out this summer. Because so, that one's way gorier. Now I want to read it. Um, that's the one. It's called Devil's yeah. Only Friend. My mom read it. Um, she got on Facebook and said, I just want everyone to know that he only lived with me for 18 years, so he's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> and I figure when your own mom disavows you, you've written a really good horror novel. That's awesome. That definitely needs to go on the book cover. Yeah. I know. That should be like the the cover quote. Yeah. So, wow. I mean, well, I guess at this point, you've actually lived away from your parents for long time. You actually lived with them. Oh, yeah. 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 So, By a couple of years. Yeah. That says a lot, really, but... <laughs> 
Well, wow. and, and her point was that I've been married for 15 uh, years now, almost 16. Oh, so it's so, not, uh, your wife's fault. Yeah, so <laughs> three years from now, I'll have lived with her longer than, than with my parents, and, and she'll have all the blame for everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the, the old day jobs and absolute no. boredom, boredom there. Know. Yeah. So uh, let's kind of move over to that book, because that's coming out pretty soon, isn't it? That comes out June 16th. Yeah, so we're just a couple months away. Yeah, and I've just had confirmed yesterday, um, June 16th, I have a signing at Weller Bookworks to Mm -hmm. launch it uh, in Salt Lake City. June 17th, the Barnes & Noble in Orem, Utah. Uh, We'll do another signing there. And then, honestly, that's the extent of the launch week tour, unless something possesses me to to add another signing or two. Uh, Most of what I'm doing this year is hitting conventions yeah. all over. I've already done three Comic Cons so far this year and I've got, you know, six or seven more lined up and we're adding more all the time. Uh in a week and a half I'll be at Emerald City Comic Con. Yep. Yeah. Uh which I'm really excited about. I'm actually sharing a booth not only with Kevin J. Anderson, uh that I've been visiting all these others with, but in Seattle we'll also have Peter Arulian and Steven nice. Erickson. Yeah. And so it's gonna be I mean and Peter's booth that'll pretty be amazing. The, that'll that'll be the booth to visit. It's gonna be awesome. So and this is with Wordfire Press, right? That is correct. Yeah. So, wow. which is great, um, is. you know. And and I've been talking like to the publicists and stuff at the publishers and saying, you know, this is the best possible way to sell books. And they say, but you know, wouldn't you rather just go to a Barnes and Noble? And I think no. <laughs> I mean, I love going to bookstores and I love booksellers. They're my favorite people in the world. But you know, I, at a typical signing, I'll go there and have have a crowd and. You know, at a place like here, the Orem Barnes and Noble, which is home turf for me, sixty or seventy people will show up, and, mm-hmm. and that's fantastic. Um, but nobody goes into a Barnes and Noble with two hundred dollars, saying, "I leave when I've spent it all." Yeah, that's how most people visit a Comic Con. Oh yeah, you know, um, I got that uh, comment from a lot of people. They'd come by. We had a booth kind of right near the door, and so people would stop by and see us, and we'd show them all our books, and they'd say, oh, "Okay, that's cool." And then they'd leave, and then four hours later they'd come back and say, I've been through the whole show floor, and your stuff is still my favorite. So, you know, what do you got? And then we'd sell them, like, two trilogies. You can't do that in a No, no, you can't. So this this has been really good. Well, and if you're selling, like, at a convention, is, is that more profit towards you then? Because, you know, if, at a bookstore they got to take their cut and so on and so um, forth. I... No. For no. me personally, no. Okay. Um, for Kevin, possibly. <laughs> He's the one who runs the booth. Yeah. Um, I am not getting any any specific profit out of it beyond just standard book sales. Oh, okay. I, I am just in it for meeting people and signing books. Okay. And if I go to a Comic-Con, I can meet 30,000 people instead of the 50 that yeah. show up at a Barnes & Noble. A lot more. And, and who better to sell your books but you? Well, yeah, You, you get to be there and talk to I, people I, about books and mm-hmm. sell, it to, you know, sell the concept to people. Sell and, them and sign it and everything, so... And then that's something a little bit better for them. Yeah. Well, and and at the booth we've got, you know, it's usually me and Kevin and then one or two other authors and then a handful of kind of just salespeople that are helping us run the booth. And so unless somebody knows me specifically, they assume I'm just some random guy. And one of my favorite moments is when someone comes up and they're like, oh, yay, the partial series. I love this. Uh, But I don't have the last one. Can I buy it? Yeah. Would you like me to sign it for you? And then they get this look in their eyes like... (laughs) Wait, are you Dan? <laughs> to which my answer is usually no, but I'll sign it. <laughs> Isn't your picture on the, the 
book no, jacket? No, it's, it's that soap opera guy. We got the him. soap opera oh, guy? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. So, with all the success, I have to ask the question, because you're, you're good friends with Brandon Sanderson. Mm-hmm. How is that feeling to, to one-up Brandon by saying, I got a movie, <laughs> you still have it yet? Because he's kind of had the, the success first with yeah, his book. Yeah, you know, he got published first. Yeah. And... You know, and we were all very happy for him, and it was fantastic. And when I finally made my sale, that was great. And then when I sold German rights, mm-hmm. it was at the time the largest single contract that either of us had ever got. Oh wow! And I was like, "This is fantastic!" And then, like a week and a half later, he got the Wheel of Time deal, and yeah, <laughs> was suddenly like three tax brackets beyond me. Yeah. Um, and so there's been no comparison ever since. Until the movie deal, you know, and he's got so many great things going on. He's got a a guy in Hollywood just beating down his door trying to buy the the rights to the entire Cosmere. Oh, wow. Which would be, you know, millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I was talking to Brandon about that and he was saying, yeah, and this is great and this is great. And then he stopped and said, but I would trade it all for an indie production that's actually happening. (laughs) Yes, I win. (laughs) Take that. Take that. I've one up you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really interesting being friends with uh with wildly successful authors, you know, because I am making enough to support my family, mm-hmm. which frankly honestly puts me in the top 1% of authors in nationwide. Yeah. Um but you know, I'm not rich. And I'm friends with Brandon Sanderson and James Dashner and Ali Condi and Brandon Mull and all these people who are, <laughs> and uh, and and it's it's really fascinating to watch you know the differences in in uh, the different authors locally. It's, it's anyway. well, I mean, even Brandon Mull. It's it's amazing when he does a book signing. He has to like he has to take Cottonwood High School. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is packed. I mean, it is it's yeah. standing room only almost, mm-hmm. and it's just crazy. Um, yeah, hundreds if not thousands of people come to yeah. to Mole's signing. And one author I've never been able to get on the show because I can never get near him. It's 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 crazy. <laughs> um, but it seems like YA novels are kind of the big thing right now, and that's where a lot of people are hitting, and that we're seeing a lot of those YA movies coming out as well. That's that's because adults can read them. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely it, it's kind of that middle area where. Kids can read them and adults still enjoy them where it's not dumbed down too much. Well, you know, I uh, they they are, first of all, to answer your question, yeah. yes. Uh, that's where that's what's going on right now. That's what's selling. At any given moment, the best-selling books on Amazon, for example, are either nonfiction, like memoirs of Hillary Clinton and stuff like that, or they're Hunger Games and Maze Runner and, and all of these, you know, YA books. Yeah. Um, and somebody was asking, you know, what is the difference? Why is YA so popular and why is it so popular among adults? And it's because stuff happens. It's because the purpose of a YA book is to entertain you. That is not the purpose of most adult novels. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to impress you. And there's definitely something to say for that. I like being impressed by a book. Um, I would much rather be entertained by a book. Um, read a book where stuff happens and there's a cool story and I can cheer and then I can be sad and then I can, you know, be scared. And YA gives you all of that. Yeah. So do you find it difficult for you to 
read other people's stuff since you're writing because you don't want it to influence you, or um, or no, it's not a problem. No, because I'm I'm rarely ever reading in the genres that I write in. Okay. Um, I I read a lot of historical fiction. Um, I will. I've I've gotten back to my uh, to my old habits of reading epic fantasy, and I don't write either of those. Yeah. And so I don't really feel like I'm being unduly influenced. Though sometimes I will specifically seek out an influence and say, well, I really want to mimic this particular style, so I'm going to read this book and see if that puts it into my head. But Okay. That makes sense. It's never worked, but I always think yet. it might. Okay. <laughs> and beyond all that, you're, st- you're an avid, avid board gamer. Absolutely. And hero clicks and... Everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a while since Hero Clicks. Yeah. Are, are you still playing uh, Magic with Brandon? Um, Brandon is actually the only person that I play Magic with anymore these days. Um, I was really turned off uh, by the sets a couple of sets ago, and just thought, eh, I'm done. And honestly, I don't miss it at all. <laughs> I was in a celebrity Magic tournament at uh, LTUE a month or two ago, whenever it was. Yeah. And uh, it was one of the new things, the Dragons of Tarkir or whatever. And I thought, yep, I stand by my decision of not playing this game anymore. This just is doing nothing for me. I made that decision a long time ago. That was back when Ice Age came out. <laughs> so, that was a long time <laughs> ago. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I still play with Brandon, uh, primarily just drafting cubes and stuff like that. I um, play a lot of collectible card games. I'm a huge fan of Netrunner and Lord of the Rings and things like that. Uh, But magic is kind of... Magic and I are no longer on speaking terms. (laughs) (laughs) Understand. You guys have any questions? I mean, I've I've been asking questions galore, so jump in. So when you were sitting down writing this book originally, did it cross your mind it'd be coming to a movie format? Did you think about that? And if so, like, what were you hoping for? at that point when you were writing the book? It, honestly, that one, no. Um, most of the books since I've imagined as movies. Um, but with Serial Killer, it was all, you know, just here's this one book. In fact, I hadn't even at that point uh, put it together as a series. It was just one book, and I'll do this one thing as well as I can, and I'll hope that it works. And uh, so everything else that's happened with it has been a nice surprise. <laughs> so, as, from a from a filmmaking perspective, not necessarily monetary value or anything like that, are are you are you excited that this is an indie production, or would you have been a big Hollywood uh, Hollywood production? Um, initially, I was concerned uh, to have an indie studio grab it uh, because of these you know big kind of grand dreams of whatever, and you know I wanted the huge Maze Runner treatment and all these things. Um, now that I've actually gotten into the process, I am so glad that it's indie. Um, it, it is, you know, it gives a freedom that you don't get on a big budget production. It doesn't have to fit the, the regular Hollywood formula and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, we can do it however we want. Um, we can, you know, if, if, for example, if this had been a major studio production, in addition to, the line producers and the effects guys and the director and everyone else on set, there would be an accountant on set looking over the director's shoulder saying, why do you need another shot? You know, we only have a half hour left. You don't have time. You know, we don't have the budget for this. 
uh, constantly second-guessing, constantly kind of backseat driving. And we don't have that. We can make the movie any way we want. Um, it really is going to be a, you know, a really the director's vision brought to life rather than what fits into the budget brought to life. So it's nice. Interesting. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the it's <laughs> being behind the scenes of an indie production like this has, you know, we we have certainly our own budgetary concerns as well. Um, but nothing that I'm nervous about. That just means you get to work more creatively and able to in, in order to fit into that budget, which exactly. I think breeds creativity and it, it breeds an atmosphere in the in the film that you don't get with Hollywood. Yeah, absolutely. It's not going to look slick and overproduced. It's just going to look, you know, really close and and intimate and personal. Awesome. Have you had more of a chance to have your input on how a scene plays out or I have had a surprising amount of input. Um, a lot of, you know, every author has their own experience. Um, Shannon Hale, for example, um, with Austinland, she really didn't get any say at all in in anything that happened, uh, at, at least from what I've heard. I haven't actually talked to her about this. This is hearsay that I probably shouldn't be sharing publicly, but there you go. Um, anyway, you know, and, and I've heard that from other authors as well. Um, but over the course of the five or six years of the option, I've become really good friends with the director. He actually has stayed at my house. Um, and so even though they are not contractually obligated to give me any kind of access or any kind of input, they talk to me all the time. Um, you know, they, they showed me all of the concept art for the monster and said, what do you think of this? What do you suggest? Um, while I was on set, uh, Max Records Every now and then, they'd yell cut, and he'd come over to me and say, I need to say something else here. What do you suggest? Like, what would be good? What would he say in this situation? Um, and so they're, you know, they're going out of their way to get my opinions and get my input, which is really fun. So, yeah. Uh, that's so really, if it's terrible, really cool. you know, I'll have some culpability in that now. Yeah. The unfortunate downside. Okay. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I, I know that's, that's one thing that, you know, like Stephen King has kind of said, like the original Shining, Yeah. You know, it was nothing like the book, really, mm-hmm. and that was one thing he always complained about. So it's yeah. kind of nice that you have that input, so it feels more like what the book is. Well, and at the same time, though, you know, Stephen King com- complaining about The Shining is a perfect example of why sometimes the author just needs to shut up okay. and realize that this other guy's vision might work better. Um, my personal opinion of adaptations, which has been strained, but which I still stand by, is that I am not interested in seeing the book recreated. Yeah. You know, I have already read the book, in this case, like 500 times. Um, I don't need to see exactly what I wrote up on the screen. Um, like with the Harry Potter movies. The third Harry Potter movie was by far my favorite because it showed me something I hadn't seen before. Whereas the others were just like, and here's this chapter, and here's this chapter, and yeah. you just saw, you know, this kind of slavish recreation of it. Um, and so with uh, this movie, I told Billy, the director, you know, you do whatever you want. If you have, you know, if you want my input, I will give it, but I'm never going to tell you you can't do it that way because this is your art and not mine. Yeah. And I am far more interested in seeing your vision come to life as an adaptation of mine, because my vision of this 
is already out and everyone mm. can read it. And even if the movie's horrible, that's not going to hurt my book. My book will still be there on the shelf yeah. in exactly the same form it was before. It's just Billy's telling of the same story. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. I'm ex- I've, I'm still excited. I'm yeah. still excited to see, especially that scene with Christopher Lloyd. That just sounds like an amazing scene. And I just knowing him from what we've seen him in in past movies, I I just it just looks and sounds like it's going to be an amazing scene. Yeah, he's great. So so when you were with Christopher Lloyd, was there any time you had a double take or just like, did he really just do that or <laughs> did he really say that or I can't believe he's quoting Back to the Future right now or he did he did pull out a great Scott once during a take of I don't even remember what scene it was. But it was obvious the take wasn't going to work because someone had flubbed something, and so he turned and he went, Great Scott! And it was, it was fantastic. <laughs> and we are like, oh, yay, thank you for yeah. for the fan service. Yes. Wow. I, it's great that he's still recognizing that that role is, is a good role for him in that. I mean, he's been, what, Fester Adams? and Yeah, I mean, he's done a million he was way back. He was on Taxi way back then. He yep. was Reverend Jim on Taxi. Yeah. He's in Granite Flats right now, so he's yep. got an ongoing web series. Uh, he's got a new movie coming out this summer called The Boat Builder. So, I mean, he's around. He's doing stuff. Yeah. Um, Just may not we're, be we're big mainstream, but yeah. he's still busy. Yeah. Wow. And he's not crashing planes into golf courses. Uh, that we know. That we know of. Yeah. Wow. Just DeLoreans. Just, <laughs> are there any crashing DeLoreans still DeLoreans? around? That would, yeah, those cars. Wow. So besides, I mean, you're super busy. You're going to the conventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm assuming still writing, got to deal with family. And on top of all that, you're still doing writing excuses. Man, you describe that like it's so bad. You got to deal with family. Well, it's it's uh, no, not bad. Freaking children. <laughs> well, you got to deal with uh, the in-laws no thinking you're some weird sociopath that's going to slaughter her daughter and <laughs> grandchildren. Uh, but you you got uh, writing excuses that you're doing on top of all that with Brandon and Howard yep. and Mary. So yeah. how is that all fitting into the the puzzle? Well, we just did. Uh, that was where I was right before filming. Uh, was we went to Chicago to record a bunch of episodes at Mary's house. Um, and so we will we try to get together every few months and record, I think we did 15 or 16 episodes. you know. And so if we do that four times a year, yeah. then that covers us for the year. One of those is always um, the retreat, which we do in September, um, which this year we're doing on a cruise ship. Yeah. You've heard that? Which is exciting. And because it's a cruise ship, where the attendance is not capped. And so technically, if anyone wants to, they can still go and sign up. Um, sign-ups have slowed down because, you know, we've got, you know, over 100 people at this point. But uh, it, it's still open as far as I know. So, But it's going to be really cool. Um, so there is that. Uh, but I never consider that an imposition. You know, that is one of the the core responsibilities of my job as an author is writing excuses. So. Nice. Well, and, I mean, one, I guess, selling point of the cruise is they're trapped on a boat, folks. They can't <laughs> run away. <laughs> I've got you now. Yes. Yeah. No, that that is that is one of the selling points. Yeah. Um, we realized that for the exact same price we were charging to have 30 people, uh, you know, crammed into one house in Tennessee, we could do it on a ship. And so, you know, administratively, that's a zillion times easier for us. Oh yeah. Because we don't have to 
be the ones cooking the food and washing the dishes and everything like we used to do. Um, and on, you know, from, from as the selling point, that gives us extra time. We'll be able to interact with the attendees way more than we used to because we won't have to spend all this other time doing the administration stuff. I'd imagine the excursions will be better, too. The excursions, yes. Uh, the, the scuba diving that we did there in Chattanooga, Tennessee, just never really worked. Um, all that brown, muddy water. Yeah. We don't know. You know, I, I am not really an excursion kind of guy. Uh, my favorite part of a cruise ship is the fact that 24 hours a day, they will give you any food you want for free. And I'm like, why would I leave this ship for any reason? Um, but we are trying to plan, you know, some different excursions and stuff that we'll do. Uh, one of the places we're going to visit, one of the stops is Cozumel, Mexico. Uh, and I used to live in Mexico. I love Mexico. Um, and so I will probably, oh, fine, I'll get off the boat. And get off Mexico. the boat. Yeah. <laughs> For at least an hour. For at least an hour. Yes. Nice. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So do you find it hard? Because, I mean, we're doing a show every week, but... Y- Recording 15 episodes, do you feel like maybe you don't get the current stuff as it's coming out? Or does that not matter because you're just no, focused on the no. writing 15, stuff? 15, 16 episodes per session every three or four months mm-hmm. actually works fine. Um, right before I moved to Germany, uh, we wanted to tr- see if we could finish off, you know, get as much in the can as possible. And so in one three-day weekend, we recorded 45 episodes. Oh, wow. And that was a mistake. Um, if you go back and listen to an episode and think, this is terrible, it's from one of those 45. <laughs> um, but uh, I do believe that that season is the one that won a Hugo, so I guess maybe we should bad. be recording Brain Dead 45 episodes in three days. More be a little punchy. It might be funnier. Yeah, I don't know. I guess. Also, uh, during that recording session, I had just had uh, surgery on my tailbone. I had my tailbone removed. And so I was like hopped up on drugs in addition to being brain dead from recording too much and so it's the only time that uh that the other podcasters have ever actually corrected me like i'll say some comment you should write like this and they'll say actually dan that's dumb (laughs) wow all right so what we'll do we're going to take a small break so everyone can stretch their legs and then we'll come back talk more to dan wells and dennis and adrian from ugeek and we will return shortly don't go too far
Welcome to my secret lair on Skull Crusher Mountain. I hope that you've enjoyed your stay so far. I see you met my assistant Scarface. His appearance quite disturbing. I assure you he's harmless enough. He's a sweetheart, called me master, and he has a way of finding pretty things, bringing them to me. Oh, and I'm so into you, but I'm way too smart for you. Even my henchmen think I'm crazy. I'm not surprised that you agree. If you could find. All right, we're back. 
Welcome back once again to Dungeon Callers Radio. So, um, I got this weird email that I I, I got to bring up. So, uh, I just got this email that came in from Icon Recruitment. It says, Revan and the Dungeon Crawlers team, you have come to our attention. We're watching you, the supervillains. So, I, I don't know what this is about. It's kind of weird, kind of creepy. But, uh, if supervillains are involved, that's good though, right? Maybe. You never know. <laughs> Nothing better than having the Joker watch you. Or... Yeah, you know. That could be really Joke creepy. A fan of your show. Hey, you've done something either very right or very wrong. Yeah. At least it means you're doing something that's on somebody's radar. Yes. Important somehow. Yes, something is important in someone's radar. So we'll have to go with that. We'll we'll see what what happens. So um, we'll go from there. But with that said, um, I guess we'll just move on. I don't got anything else to talk about. <laughs> Dang. Someone's okay. paying attention. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Yes. Whoever you are. Still there. All right, so uh, we were talking about I'm Not a Serial Killer, the movie, the book, the soon-to-be, the new one, uh, Devil's Best Friend. The Devil's Only Friend. Devil's Only Friend, excuse me. Um, And then uh, also writing excuses. So what else do you have on your plate? That's quite a lot. I just, on Monday, finished the, the revision. What what I assume is essentially the final revision before before copy editing yeah. of uh, a, the book one of a brand new science fiction series okay. that will be coming out from Harper Collins next year, probably in February. So, uh, and that is, the series is called Mirador, uh, Cyberpunk 2050, Los Angeles. Uh, book one is called Blue Screen, and it is mm-hmm. about a uh, digital drug. Wow. So the main characters of the series are uh, a group of teenage girls that are professional video game players, and they get involved with uh, various cyber crime shenanigans. Wow. It's going to be awesome. Now, cyberpunk's kind of coming back, it seems. Yes, it is. Um, and, you know, part of that is uh, because we are catching up to it now, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there was a really interesting article on io9 just today about how uh, Shadowrun was never able to really keep up with actual cyber technology because it was advancing so fast, um, you know, which is a, a legitimate concern um, and certainly not one specific to Shadowrun. But uh, also because just science fiction in general is huge, especially in YA. And as dystopia kind of runs its course and people get sick of reading it and writing it, uh, everyone's looking for, you know, what else can we do? And cyberpunk is just, sitting right there, you know. We have uh, computers, we have, in the real world, cybernetics, uh, self-driving cars, drones that can do everything, you know. this We live in a surveillance state uh, that surpasses the old Soviet Union. Uh, <laughs> cyberpunk is, is back big time, and, and I really expect it to take off as a literary genre. I'm hoping, at least, because <laughs> I'm writing it. Well, yeah, and well, it's also uh, the sequel to Blade Runner is, will be coming out, so that might help influence yeah, things a little bit, yeah. especially if that's done well. Exactly. Um, I was very excited to hear about that. I'm a little nervous, but, you know, because, like, the day after they announced, hey, Blade Runner 2 is coming and Harrison Ford has signed up, then he crashed his plane. Thought, <laughs> oh, no, what does that mean? Does that mean we don't get Blade Runner? No, it just means they've got to it, install the cybernetic leg and arm, and we're good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's perfect. Then he can maybe run faster. But, you know, they have those. You know, every day there's a new news article about 
you know, the blind lady that can drive a car by plugging into it because yeah. they've installed speakers that can talk to her neurons. Um, or they've got uh, the big one a couple of weeks ago was a woman who was able to fly a drone with her brain. Wow. You know, we have all of that stuff. Well, and then there's uh, one kid that Robert Downey Jr. gave the the, yeah. the r- cybernetic arm that looked like an Iron Man yeah. thing, which was pretty cool. That's That's fantastic. You know, these things are not weird anymore. I mean, DARPA's doing all this incredible stuff with robotics that's, you know, we've been waiting for this for decades, and now it's here and it's real. I really think one of the reasons why that's come about so prevalently all of a sudden is because of things like 3D printers. Yeah. That arm was mostly made out of 3D printed material. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, just that being in the hands of people in their homes, being able to design stuff, I mean, we're 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 in a, the dawn of a new industrial age. Well, there was an article I was reading the other day that Toyota 3D printed an entire engine. I mean, wow, that could reduce the cost of a car very quickly. <laughs> I mean, if you can just 3D print those things out like no other. Um, I mean, I know there's some companies that are 3D printing homes. Mm-hmm. So one of the really exciting for little things, Lego people. <laughs> one of the really exciting things I saw with uh, with 3D printing and cars was. Uh, what they call a skateboard. Have you have you seen this around? That uh, this this car company came up with the concept that the car itself, you know, because in this potential future they're all going to be self-driving, is basically just the chassis and the wheels, and that's you know that'll handle the drivetrain, that'll handle the drive system, that'll do everything, and then you can 3D print to your own design and specifications whatever cabin sits on top of it for the passengers. Hmm. And so, you know, we'll have, we'll be able to customize not only the colors, but the actual shape of our cars. Genius. I so want a Batmobile. <laughs> There's a, that, that's, not, that's not necessarily a, a new concept, though. There was a company that designed a, um, a hydrogen engine, a hydrogen uh, vehicle, yeah. where the uh, chassis could be interchanged with something different. So if uh, someone would come in and get the wheels and the, the hydrogen fuel cell was built in and they could just literally put a different chassis on it and it goes right out the showroom floor. See, that's awesome. Because when we were kids, we all played with those like little car sets, the matchbox ones yeah. where you could build your own things and mix and match them. Now we can do that with our actual cars. That would be awesome. <laughs> but then again, the Jetsons, you know, the Jetsons was what, 2012 and still don't have a flying car that folds up into a briefcase. But, True. but they do you have don't? flying cars. They, they have I, flying I cars? Do. Sure. Okay. Yeah, there was kind a big of. one in, uh, like, uh, what was it, Popular Science, just this week. I think it was Popular Science. Oh, it, it, it was it, the one that had the wings and the propellers built onto it, right? Yeah, it's, it's okay. basically just a car with fold-out wings okay. and, and a propeller. Okay. So, I mean, it's, yeah, <laughs> it, it's like a mini plane. My my trip from my house to Provo to go, you know, play in Jordo's game would be so much shorter if I could just fly over the lake. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I hate driving around, but... I'll have to apologize for not having a source for this, but I saw on the internet earlier this week, or last week, where a company had just uh, launched a... It was like an ambulance with a uh, out of a quadcopter. So it's basically a bed with all the emergency equipment in it, and then it's able to actually fly to remote areas. They can throw them in programs where to go. It takes off and goes to the hospital. Staff, no one else needs to go with it. It was oh, pretty cool. That's awesome. Man. I am so excited about the self-driving future. I mean, well, you can't name a technology that has me more excited than self-driving. Have cars. you seen the Tesla cars? They have auto an autopilot feature. 
you literally push the autopilot button and it drives to mm-hmm. when you plug that in. The problem is the big balloon guy pops out and he's just yeah. No. <laughs> even if he it, starts to deflate, even if that's so, I don't care <laughs> because you get a really cool balloon guy. <laughs> yes, that was my favorite part of airplane. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it'd be even better if it was like Transformers where you got the hologram, but. Yeah. Oh well. Oh, that'll 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 be an add-on. That that's definitely an add-on, and uh, you know that's another ten th- ten thousand dollars. But hey, whatever. Yeah. So. All right. So. TV. Have you been keeping current? Because you know with the the current TV like shows. Watch, watching the TV shows. Like what ones are you currently watching? Okay, I'll tell you. All I'll right. Tell you what my favorite ones are right now. Okay. Um. First of all, Agent Carter. Okay. Which is over now, I but know. was amazing. While it was on, it was the best, you know, comic book show on TV. Uh, so is it permanently over or just for the season? To my knowledge, okay, what happened was that was only anything. intended to be a single miniseries. Oh, okay. But it was so popular that I believe they have ordered a second season. All right. They would be foolish not to have done that. Yeah. Um, and so I am inclined to believe the reports that they have. Um. What else? The uh, other show that I'm loving right now. Um, oh, there's several. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. That's not really like a geek show. I I, I completely watched through all that on Netflix. Oh yeah. Uh, I was intending to watch like one episode and then go to sleep, and then at three in the morning, I'm like, wait, I just watched the entire run. It's like one of the. It's one of those really odd shows on Netflix. It's like. It's like meth. You've watched the first one, the next thing you know, I've just watched the entire series. And they're really short, too. Mm-hmm. And crazy. They're completely bizarre, but uh, absolutely hilarious. Yeah. Um, I, I love it. I love every character on it. Um, been really, really impressed with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, the other one that I'm excited about and was just one of Amazon's pilots for Men in the High Castle. Oh, I was just t- telling these guys Which about that. Which was so cool. Yeah. Um, that one, even though it's a single episode, is still one of my like favorite TV shows of the year. But that's been flagged to go actually into production, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It was the uh, most popular pilot Amazon has produced in the history of them producing pilots. Wow. So, yeah, that was uh, green-lighted instantly. I, I just loved it from the mere fact I'm, I'm sitting here watching and suddenly you see the American flag, but where the stars are you see you know the uh the swa- the nazi swastika mm-hmm. and it's like germany won and so did uh japan and now we've got this neutral zone and it's divided but then there's this kind of undercurrent of maybe that's not really what happened but something did happen yeah i mean it's and, based on a philip k dick book so yeah. there's definitely weird stuff going on but uh no it was really well know, done it's, it's it's always been, you know, it's not my favorite uh, Philip K. Dick novel by any stretch, but I love the setting, and that's what makes it such a perfect TV show. Is here's this incredible setting to explore: the yeah. Axis powers won World War II, colonized or conquered the U.S., and you know, even if there's no ongoing plot, uh, that would be fascinating to spend an hour a week in that world. Yeah. But on top of that, there is an ongoing plot, and it looks really fascinating, and they produced it really well. I, I couldn't be happier about no, it. No, I, I love the feel of it. I mean, just the look of the video, and then you know, you start out, and it's you're in an old time movie theater, black and white. It was perfect. Yeah. And then the twist at the end. Oh. Yep. I was like, okay, so where's the next one? What was the twist at the end? <laughs> I can't tell you. 
<laughs> you have to watch it. Oh, I mean, really, it's that good of a twist. It's like, oh, man, I'm hooked. I need to see the next episode. Then you find it's only a pilot, and you got to wait. Yeah, but... Oh, it's like Parallels on Netflix. Yeah. It's one. It's just one. It's a alternate universe type of... Uh, alternate universe type of uh, a plot. And they did one, and it's actually really, really well done. I suggest watching it. But it's like they're they're doing a let's see type of... Okay. Well... I have to I have to admit Netflix is doing a pretty good job with their original content and they've mm-hmm. thrown out quite a bit in the last few months and you know like the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt I'm just looking at them like okay I'll give it a shot this is probably going to be stupid and it it's not yeah uh, it's hilarious it, it's um, great I mean uh, my, my John Hamm spoiler warning because he doesn't show up till like the final three episodes. If he doesn't win some kind of an Emmy or a Golden Globe for and he's from comedy Ma- guest Mad star, Men, right? yeah, yeah, he's Mad Men. He's done all of these really dramatic yeah. roles. He is this kooky reverend, gut bustingly funny as this insane religious cult leader. Yeah. Oh, well, I love the fact that he's representing himself as his own attorney, and and he's asking himself questions. Mm-hmm. And oh, it was hilarious. Well, you know, the, the great thing about the way they present the cult leader, the John Hamm's character, Reverend uh, Richard Wayne Gary Wayne, which is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> such a perfect cult leader name, um, is that, you know, in order to be successful as a cult leader, you have to be incredibly charismatic. Yeah. And usually when we see these guys portrayed in TV, you know, they're these horrifying kind of Charles Manson, mm-hmm. you know, bearded, tattooed lunatics that terrify everyone by their mere presence. And, you know, yeah, by the time they get to prison, they look like that. Yeah. But prior to that, they're incredibly charismatic, funny people that everyone loves and wants to follow. They wouldn't be cult leaders otherwise. And so watching John Hamm, you know, do this guy who is so dumb and so awful, and yet you can't help but like him, it's just a perfect... Well, and then you got... Tina Fey is the main producer, and she's one of these ditzy attorneys with her hair super curly, See, which looks really and, weird. And I worry that a lot of the really young viewers are not getting any of that joke because it's Tina Fey and what's the guy's name? Like Jerry Minor or something yeah. is, is her co-counsel. And they are this very broad parody of uh, the O.J. Simpson lawyers. Yeah. And, you know, the the kids watching are just going to say, oh, who are these stupid lawyers? And they're funny on their own, but they're ten times funnier when you're like, that's the O.J. Simpson lawyers. Yeah. So, I it, you, there's there's a lot of good content out there. And so they're doing a great great job. Uh, I'll have to look at the parallel. Yeah. So. Um, let's see. The other one. Oh, man. Best best SF show on TV is Person of Interest um, or Orphan Black. I guess I couldn't choose between those two. Okay. Um, and actually, uh, getting back to comic book stuff, The Flash. Oh my gosh! As much as I want to say, because I actually had given up on The Flash. Okay. Um, because there were there were one or two episodes where I was like, oh, you know what? Screw this! It just was not working for mm-hmm. me. And finally today, because my son was home sick from school, and did I you watch the latest episode? I didn't watch the latest one. I watched oh. the the you know whatever the the oldest one still available on Hulu. So it was uh, The Rogues. With okay. Captain Cold and, okay. and, and Fire Heat Wave. Dude. Yeah. And Heat Wave, which, which hilariously was also apparently a prison break reunion. Yeah. Uh, which was really funny to me. Um, and it was really good. Well, and, and, and Dominic Purcell has actually got a spinoff as Heat Wave. They're going to really? do, do a TV series just on him. 
because <laughs> he was so good. Yeah. He was the best part of that episode. But anyway, um, you know, I really liked it when it first came out, but it felt weightless, I guess is okay. the word I want to use. It felt like there weren't, like the stakes didn't matter. It wasn't, they were, they were trying so hard to not be as melodramatic as Arrow, yeah. and they overcorrected in the other direction, and it just kind of felt like, yeah, nothing really matters on this show. They have apparently, since I gave up, totally found their feet and oh, yeah. found the right formula, and it was fantastic. You need to, you need to watch the rest of the episodes after yeah. that. They just get better. Okay, so I remember, let me ask you, okay. uh, um, I remember you know, an end-of-episode tag for like episode five or six, um, they, they showed Grodd oh, in a cage. Just wait. Do we get an actual just Grodd? Just wait. Okay. There is an in. amazing scene. So it's not this episode, but the one just before this last one. Okay. It is amazing. I, I would say it, but it would spoil it. Don't yeah. spoil it. Just yeah. knowing that, just you know. Just know, the fact I know. that the show is going to go grod. Yeah. Well, that's the one okay. thing is someone said, no, we're never going to do that. And, you know, and then when they showed that, I said, they're, they're going to have to do something. And they do something and they do it amazingly. It is. You don't see much, but it's enough to go, oh, yes, I am on. <laughs> I, I'm on target. You know when you're in, always in a group of guys or whatever, yeah. and, and someone says, "Oh, there's always that one guy who brings up that." Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. Since we're talking about Flash, I still miss the old early 1990s Flash. Well, see, I remember that. I, I loved that. I loved that. that. that well, see, that's, that's oh, one thing that. I do love is they're actually bringing Mark Hamill back as the Trickster for the new Flash. Right. Yes. And he's going to be in the original costume, and which, he's like training a, a new a new trickster, trickster, right? Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the costume wasn't. That great. No, it wasn't. But the sh- the the, the storyline, yeah. the acting, well, and and I also good. like the fact that Barry Allen's dad in the new one is that old Flash, and they've also brought in the lady that used to be his assistant at Star Labs. She's been in one of the episodes. Oh, has she? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, so there's kind of a nod off to that. So they're they're doing a pretty good job at nodding I to like the old it. one. Um, there's also a rumor floating around that next season, uh. Superman or Clark Kent will show up, and it will be Tom Welling that played uh, Superman, Clark Kent See, from uh, Smallville. But I totally don't believe that rumor. So I, I, I don't know. I it would be that's cool, just, but just it may be too much wishful thinking. Yeah. But uh, you know, even if it doesn't happen, everything they've done so far is pretty awesome. They've got the Supergirl. Well, you, the Supergirl is going to be on a different network. Yeah. And so I don't know how connected it will be narratively. I wish it would be because it sounds like it's going to be really good. Yeah. But have they, they've announced like a kind of mini Justice league show yeah. that's going to have uh, Brandon Routh as Adam, who's the best part of, uh, of Arrow next yeah. to Felicity, uh, and a couple other people. So I'm really excited for I'm, that. I'm, I'm personally, I'm really hoping this DC push on, on uh, network TV is to help catch up with Marvel, because they've been behind Marvel for so long. I'm hoping yeah. if they catch up that they will finally go onto the big screen. Mm-hmm. I, well, I hope so, too, but unfortunately, DC and Warner Brothers have this really weird view of what's on TV can't be on the big screen and vice versa. You know, that's weird, but I think it's kind of smart, honestly, okay. the way they're doing it. Um, because even Marvel, in my opinion, has not successfully connected their movie and TV universes. No, because they, they have shield. While it is much better this season... Is still not well, that's the one thing that really frustrated my agents of Shield the first season, is it made no sense, and I I almost gave up on it until Captain America hit, and then suddenly it's like, oh, we have a plot, and we yeah. now have a story arc. Let's go, and, mm-hmm. and so that worked really well. 
See, and Agent Carter was so phenomenal in part because they didn't have to coordinate with yeah. any other stories. They could tell their own story in their own way and make that one show the best it could be without having to worry about a bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, and that was, you know, you look at that problem with with season one of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where they literally had to just tread water for like 18 episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, DC's never going to have that problem. Yeah, They have to coordinate their shows with each other, but they're never going to have to sit on a cool plot point because the movie isn't out yet. And yeah. that's going to Well, I mean, the one thing that really frustrates me with DC is like, you, the reason we don't have a Batman in Gotham is because he's in the movie. You know, we're mm-hmm. not going to get Superman in any of these because he's in the movie. But what doesn't make sense is we have Flash coming up in the next movie. You know, so and we have a Flash on TV, so they're kind of contradicting their own. Well, self, because but, they're not intending them to be connected. Yeah. Universes. So unless I, they're specifically making them separate universes, and then they'll have like an Infinite Crisis crossover. That would be awesome. Which, frankly, would be rad. That's yeah. what I'm guessing actually is going to happen. <laughs> They're going to bring them together eventually. I would that hope so. That would be so. really cool. And if, you know... I'm, I'm crossing my fingers for Justice League, the movie. That's it. That's what I want. <laughs> well, I would love to see a good, solid Justice League. I would love to see a good, solid Green Lantern movie. Uh, and there's a rumor out there that Chris Pine may be coming in to play Hal mm-hmm. Jordan, which would be awesome. I think he could do a great job with it. I mean, we've seen him play Captain Kirk he, really he well. He could be a good Chris Pine. He, Hal Jordan is uh I'm a huge Hal Jordan fan. Yeah. I think he's the wrong choice for a Green Lantern movie. Okay. I think you either want to go um with Kyle Rayner. Kyle would be a good choice. Because he embodies I think the the imagination imagination principles that would make Green Lantern make sense. Yeah. Um, or just because I saw fan art of Idris Elba as uh, John Stewart, you want him because he looks awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't know if he'd be able to cross because he's already in the Thor universe as, as Heimdall. I don't know. I, I would he would make a an amazing John Stewart. He oh, definitely yeah. would. That'd be good. I, I don't think Guy Gardner could would be a good choice for a Green Lantern, but I, I think Kyle would be a good one if not mm-hmm. Hal because he uh, he's got a lot of self doubt. He's not really sure of himself, and anyone can connect to that where, you know, Hal Jordan's kind of cocky. Well, and, and, you know, Hal Jordan has the power to create with his ring anything he can imagine, and he uses it to make green fists and punch people who are slightly farther away. And you baseball know? bats. That's well, I, that's like a waste of the power. That I'm is like, true. I'm a Hal Jordan fan, but that's true. come on, man. Well, Whereas Kyle Rayner is an artist, and he's always making up weird crap, yeah. and that's what... You know, that's the thrill visually of a Green Lantern movie would be, oh, what new thing is he going to make now? Yeah. And, and Kyle is the first one to use the ring to create a giant mech that he could sit in and start shooting people. As like, that's what you should be doing with the ring the whole time. When I first saw that, I was like, why has no other Green Lantern done this? <laughs> They're getting the crap beat out of him using little rays and baseball mm-hmm. bats and punching gloves and... Yeah. Okay, okay, so I'm going to change the topic. All right, go if ahead. We're talking about geek movie news. Yes. Um, I cannot remember the last time I was this excited about geek movie news. They announced last week uh, the first Star Wars spinoff movie will be Rogue One. Oh, yes. I, I've been geeking out about that oh, completely. all week. I'm yeah. so excited. I'm really excited with the the lineup that they're talking about for the movie. I, just in itself, I mean... They've thrown out the expanded universe. Mm-hmm. They're calling those legends, so 
it's a great start. They don't need to apply to this timeline that Lucas has created through the books and that. And knowing that, now they've said, hey, we're going to throw out 20 books between now and that movie comes out to kind of tell you what happened after Endor up to this point. And then they're throwing out, you know, that movie. There's going to be a young Han Solo. There's going to be a Boba Fett one. There's there's no limit to what they can do now. And mm-hmm. they're going to do an awesome job at it. It's Disney. So well, I, I, you know, and they have an unlimited pot of money to work with. They do. And they can get good actors and good write, screenwriters and directors. And, and, you know, if you do Star Wars, at that point you're making your own new pots of money. Yes. So they're never going to run out. Yeah. Um, you know, and one of the great things, like a lot of the stuff that they've announced is, you know, like the young Han Solo movie yeah. and the Boba Fett movie, which is, you know, retreads of very popular characters, and I can see where they're coming from. But stuff like Rogue One, in addition, you know, to Rogue Squadron being my favorite part of the expanded universe yeah. anyway, um, what that heralds is Something. finally we're going to see the broader universe. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the biggest mistake of the prequels, and this is a bold statement because there were like nine million mistakes in the prequels. <laughs> the biggest mistake in the prequels is that they made the world feel so small. Yeah. This was a massive galaxy, and yet everything important that ever happens in it is the same tiny group of people. Mm-hmm. And yes, I can see why they did that, because it's fun fan service to see Chewbacca. But on the other hand, Chewbacca again? Come on. Yeah. And so it really looks like what they're going to be doing with the new movies is showing us this giant universe and yeah. expanding it out so that we can see all of these really cool new things and, and get a sense of the scope. I'd really like to see something from, like, the Knights of the Old Republic era. Mm-hmm. That would be pretty oh, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, uh, uh, LucasArts, Disney, if you come to me, I will write a Knights of the Old Republic novel. Yes. Possibly for free. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you can pose that argument with any story, though, that that on, on our author or director or whatever mm-hmm. um, has this huge universe they could, they could talk about. But I mean, you really can't put every aspect on, on the big screen. For example, Harry Potter. I mean, there's the geek cards can be revoked. Which which uh, which film is it where all the schools come together? Which one was that? That was four. Four. The Goblet of Fire. Yeah, the Goblet of Fire. So you have like all these schools from all over the world. Well, it would have been cool to read a book about the wizard school in the United States. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are we ever going to get that book? No. 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 Yeah. Well, and I I understand those books were pertaining just to. Harry Potter story, but now she's writing other a story, so we may get that. Who knows? Um, you know, and I know I can I can understand that Lucas was kind of tunnel vision, but we got the expanded stuff through comics and books and video games. But now that we have Disney that has the boatload of money, you know, hiding in their giant vault that could be the entire size of Texas, uh, we is. we could get all these different movies, and. You know, I know there are some people I've talked to and they're like, well, we'll just get Star Wars burnout. But I don't think that's possible because if we if we stayed on the Skywalker family, yes. Mm-hmm. But if you branch out to Rogue One or Knights of the Old Republic or even just do like uh, like the Scoundrels book that uh, um, Timothy Zahn wrote, which was kind of like Ocean's Eleven but with Han Solo. Granted, yeah. we couldn't do that, but just use some other rogues. Exactly. That would be perfect. We've already seen with their Marvel plan that they're willing to do, you know, here's the big space opera of Thor. Yeah. And here's 
you, the, you know, the kind of weird tech stuff. Here's the heist movie with that Ant-Man looks like it's going to be. Yeah. Here's the, you know, and they, they all have a different feel, even though they're related to each other. And so announcing a Rogue Squadron movie, yes, that's exactly what we need because mm-hmm. it's it's showing us a different aspect of the same universe. If fans haven't had burnout in almost 40 years, and we all survived a number of horrible uh, Ewok movies in the 80s. Hey, I love those Ewok movies. We're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, if no, there was there two of them? There, there, were, like two. Two. there were two. There were two. The second yeah. one, yeah. I'm not a fan. The first one, I recognize its horribleness, <laughs> but I was the right age to love it. Well, that's what I'm saying. When I was a kid watching that, I loved it. You know, you had that little fast, weird running mm-hmm. thing in the second one that made no sense. And how Wilford Brimley was trapped on, you know, the planet. But, hey! You know, and he was the 80s. He was trapped yeah. everywhere. And there's these weird lizard guys that we never saw in Return of the Jedi, but suddenly they were there. Yeah. Well, we weren't on that part of the planet. True. Um, no, but you're absolutely right. Uh, when you consider that Star Wars fandom survived for, you know, 20 years based solely on three movies that we just watched over and over until we memorized them. Oh, and the Christmas special. <laughs> and the Christmas special, I we're not going to get burned out by having more. Oh, no, to no, choose from. no, no, no. And, and on the other hand, Star Trek. I mean, that's even more than forty years, and fans aren't burned out yet. Mm-hmm. No, and and Paramount, that, do yeah, something. When are we getting a TV show of Star Trek? Doggone it! <laughs> I mean, well, and we have J.J. Abrams at the helm of the first one, which kind of revived the Star Trek movies. Yeah, you're not okay. That's fine. No, let's <laughs> let's do it. I. I don't know if you know this, but R two D two is actually in the fir- that first uh, Star Trek movie that he did. I remember, I remember seeing something about the yeah. So it, when they come out of warp and there's all the ships, if you slow it down and pause it, you see an R two unit floating in the debris. <laughs> That's awesome. It's awesome. I'm gonna have to go home and watch. Yeah, yeah, ha- it, it's really cool. It, you can miss it. It is that fast, but yeah, you pause it and go frame by frame. You see him float out behind the debris. I, I, I do think the second film was, was acceptable. I think the first film was very lazy. Wait, you liked the second one better than the I first did. one? The I second did. one was like a flip-flop of Wrath of Khan. I, I, I know that, but I really think the first film was, was a lot of laziness. Okay. Because of his... And any time you deal with time travel, in my opinion, is a lazy plot. I think it was ingenious. Just because it's the only way he could get away from Star Trek timeline to get away from to. the Trekkie. He didn't have to. Yes and no. I, I I could see it because with resetting the timeline to a different alternate reality, he didn't have to worry about, well, this happened in mm-hmm. this movie episode, this happened in this movie. Yeah, no, in no, one's ever, no one's ever worried about it. He yeah. now has no continuity issues ever. There was, yeah. never continu- there was never a continuity issue in Star Trek to begin with because there was never continuity. I mean, when you, you read two well, different books yeah. and and Deanna Troy is a, is a counselor in one book and she's the captain of a ship at the exact same time another book. There's never been continuity. Gene Roddenberry <laughs> didn't care about continuity That's that true. way. That's true. That is yes, true. Yes, but the fans do. Yeah. You're and right. You're absolutely right. they complain about it. The Trekkies right. do. And, and I think most fans would simply ignore the continuity issues in the in the books because I guess from a, from my perspective, they're not nearly as popular as the TV as shows TV or the show movies. The movie. so, I mean, but you do get a point. I mean, he could have come up with something else. Time travel is... Kind of a, the, the, the a first, weak the one, first but... movie was set right in the middle of the Federation and the Klingon Wars. Yeah. There wasn't a single Klingon in the whole freaking movie. No. Mm-hmm. That's but but you were worried about the giant Romulan ship, so who cares about the Klingons? Yeah. 
<laughs> we, we, we could have a whole episode See, about I know, my, we my could. problems yeah. with this first movie. We could. Seriously. Which well, would be awesome. all of them, you know, lazier than time travel is the fact that he's now created a universe where you can teleport anywhere in the galaxy from anywhere in the galaxy. Yeah. And yeah. people are immortal. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So we don't need... So we don't need transporters. No, we don't. We don't need. We do need but transporters. We just don't them. need ships. Yeah. I mean, what's the point of a ship? Spaceships now? are pointless now. Yeah. You could have a transporter bed there, and you're gone. I bet there'll be spaceships in the. I bed. mean, you went from Earth to what? One of the outer to planets Kronos. in Kronos, in, in you know the Klingon territory. Of course, unfortunately, Spock gave that, so that is kind of Spock's fault. So bad on him. Um, which time traveled back? So hey, so it's all his fault, right? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, we I need, could go for a whole. I know we could. We, we need could. a TV show for Star Trek. <laughs> we could. We do need a TV show here. Well, and we need a good one because Enterprise wasn't that great. It was. It was okay. It was. It was. You're right. It was okay. I like Scott it, it Bakula. Had its good moments. It ha- but I want to see a really good, solid. You know, Next Generation was good. Mm-hmm. That was enjoyable. I, I wasn't a big Voyager fan. Deep Space well, Nine. Problems. Deep Space Nine, Deep Space Nine got is good the best Star Trek series of all time. And so, should we I just start agree. this fight right now? I couldn't get I in. I couldn't. Okay, I couldn't get into Deep Space Nine until they actually got the Defiant and went places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Season that's, that's three, season good. four. Yeah. That's when it picks up. Yeah, it's awesome. Before that, I was just like, Ugh. Who, who, who wants to watch a show that they stay in one place? Yeah. Oh, was, I do. That awesome. was actually <laughs> the beauty of that entire series. That it was a situation, a situ, the situational drama on this starship. Yeah. And you could they didn't just go anywhere. Once the wormhole got in and all that other stuff, they I, I don't like the way they it was like the final season, halfway through, all of a sudden, you know, um Cisco was what was he, like some prophet or whatever for Yeah, he was a prophet. And yeah. they, they well, that wasn't all it. of a sudden. That was in the pilot. No, true. It's it's true, but they finished it really fast. Yeah. They did. It's, instead of taking their time and finishing that whole mm-hmm. that the whole arc of the entire show yeah. really yeah. quick. They, that, that bothered me. The they most. steered away from that more than they should have if they were planning to make it their their giant ending. You're absolutely yeah. right. But what what Deep Space Nine did uh, was bring consequences to the Star Trek universe, which they'd never really had before. Yeah. You know, Next Generation would break the Prime Directive and it would be this big moral decision like, oh, can we dare do this? Well, we have to or everyone will die. And then some horrible thing happens as a result of it and then no one ever cares again. That it does, that anything happened, yeah. Um, and they never have to go back to that place. They never have to deal with the people whose lives they ruined uh, because they're off to a new place. Well, and I, and we kind of saw that in the new movies too, like in the second one where, you know, Kirk mm-hmm. pulls the ship out of the ocean, flies off, and now they they're worshiping this new drawing they of the did, ship. They did that on purpose. I know they did. Yeah, and I I laughed at that. Yeah, I'm just like that is so perfect because he's like, you put that in your report. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's like. I, but I saved him. Who cares? So, yeah. yeah. So, because I mean, that kind of was the fill with Next Generation, and sometimes it even the fill with the old Star Trek thing. It's like this horrible thing happened, but who cares? We're not going back there, yeah. and, and we never did. So, all right. Oh well. Yeah, I I would love to see another season of Agent Pe- Peggy Carter. That was oh, yeah. really great, especially when the chief jumps out of the window. That was just like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> That was cool. I honestly, the the hypnosis guy, I was not a huge fan. No, he was kind of annoying me, but I liked the fact that they had the tie-in 
yeah. to the pre-Black Widow program. Exactly. Dottie was an amazing oh, yeah. villain. Yeah. Um, I was not super sold on the hypnosis guy, and uh, and for that reason, kind of the the climax, the 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 big final moments of the season mm-hmm. didn't really do it for me. But uh, Peggy as a character and the show in general, um, you know, I remember reading an article after you know three or four episodes in. Uh, somebody said, you know, as great as this show is, we've got Enver Gyokaj there as one of the other agents in the office, and they haven't used him yet. Yeah. That means that arguably the best actor in their show, they've still got him in their hand. They haven't even played that card. Um, and, you know, when they finally did start using him, he was incredible. Every, I, I loved yeah. it. You know, and also another thing that pulled in was the time frame. My in-laws never watched any Marvel TV shows, but they're getting into stuff like this because they remember the time frame, you know, the, they watch shows of that time frame and yeah. it's like blows them away to sit there and watch something today taking place in the fifties. Well, and they did a really good job at keeping it looking like that time era, you know, especially the annoying landlady of Peggy's apartment. Oh, there is no man above the first floor. And, you know, just, <laughs> and how strict she was and everything. And, you know, I'm gonna. I want your superior's name, and I'm gonna call them. And it was just amazing how spot on it was, and the old diner, and everything. The cars, yeah, the, the the automated diner, yeah, which was a real thing that they actually had in New York, and it was kind of fun to see that show up. Although I have to say, the the waitress there mm-hmm. in the diner was played by uh, what's her name, Lindsay Fonseca, mm-hmm. um, and her presence in Agent Carter has. Fascinating implications for my continuity theory between the Marvel Universe and How I Met Your Mother and um, the Nikita TV series. Okay. Because I assume they're all related. Yeah. And But the fact that now the daughter in the one and the secret agent in the other has appeared in the past of the Marvel, I don't know exactly how they're going to pay that off, but I assume they will at some point. Oh, that'd be nice. I just want to point out those type of restaurants have made a comeback. Yeah. They're coming back, especially wow. with credit cards now. You go in, grab your food, put put in your credit card, and okay. you leave. And it's pretty. I guess they're just vending machines, huh? Yeah. So, so those actual models. Yeah. Are coming huh. Wow. That's very interesting. All right. So any other shows out there that you're that into? I'm yeah. Well, Justified, but that's not really. That's a great show. Show on TV right now. That first pilot hooked me. You know, the first five minutes, I was hooked. Are you watching the, the new season? season I haven't got to watch season six yet. That's season six is the best one since season two. Okay. Which is the best one. Okay. Um, it's basically the cat and mouse game between Raylan and Boyd. Like it all comes down to nice. This. And Ava's caught in the middle. They're bringing back the old characters. They're using them well. Good. It is just a beautiful thing to watch. Very nice. That that is the plan over spring break, which is just in two weeks. Just to mainline, just just I'm gonna watch it. So it's a it's 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 a great movie or TV show. Excuse me. Oh yeah, I I just enjoy it because Best you you got a really the dialogue's amazing, and you the character, especially Boyd and Raylan, their dialogue back and forth is really witty, and it's like okay, they're dancing around the subject, but not really approaching it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, when is this going to hit? So oh, yeah. that kind of hits and in this next season. That's what season six is about, oh. is the two of them trying to outwit each other. I may not have to wait two weeks. I and may have to go and watch this. It's just wonderful. Um, you know, and the great thing about it 
Justified is the only TV show I can think of. And and you know maybe maybe you guys are, go oh there's like a million. Uh, it's the only TV show I can think of where the biggest mystery is the main character. You're never really sure what Raylan is thinking in any given situation. You know he is a cipher emotionally, and that's really interesting. And season six is playing that note really well as well. I don't think I, no, I don't think I can find, think of another show out there where the characters like that. Yeah, he's, you, hmm. you want to know. You know pretty clearly where everybody else stands, but Raylan, you're like, you know, what does he want to get out of this? What is he going for? Yeah. Wow. All right. And beyond that, I don't have time to watch TV. Yeah. <laughs> beyond all that, I don't have any more time. So how do you find time to watch movies then? I don't watch movies, okay. honestly. So, um, so how are you going like to find time to go see, yeah, to go see you know, Rogue Squadron then? <laughs> I'll, I'll make an exception for Rogue Squadron. <laughs> I'm certainly Rogue Squadron, the Rogue One movie. Yeah, it is being directed by Gareth Edwards, yeah. who did the the recent Godzilla, and he did Monsters, mm-hmm. which is for my money the best science fiction movie of the last eight years. Um, I can't think of one I like better. Okay. Um, and not enough people have seen it, so go watch Monsters. It's on Netflix, or it was. Maybe they've moved it. Oh, too old. But look it yeah. up. Fantastic. Yeah, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the Godzilla. So it was a little annoying that I didn't get to see Godzilla till the very end because it was like always doors closing or the camera changing scenes. But when I got the Godzilla fight, I was happy. Well, see, that's you know, none of Gareth Edwards' movies have been spaceship dogfights. Yeah. But Godzilla proves that you know, unlike J.J. Abrams, he knows how to play in somebody else's sandbox. And be true to it while still making it his own. Oh, yeah. And um, that's exactly what you want in a Star Wars director. Yes. Nice. All right. So we'll kind of move focus a little bit to you guys. Because you guys have been waiting. You don't want to? Just keep going? You're done? (laughs) Because you got got issue four out. We've been having a good time here anyway, so it's all good. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to let everyone know, because you guys got issue four out. So Star Trek number one. Yeah, Star Trek number one. (laughs) Seriously, we just may have to have you guys come back, and that's an entire show. <laughs> Seriously, I could do that all day for an entire show. If you want to do it, let's let's plan it. The, the only time travel film I've ever seen that I actually liked was Prince of Persia. Okay, so... You've got kidding me. No, the, the, the reason why is because I didn't see it coming. Okay. Every other time travel movie bugs me because there's always a case of... and we'll Obviously, you didn't play the game. But, no, no, well, no, no. <laughs> the, the movie was actually pretty, pretty okay. Yeah. Um, the whole point is, is that you either have someone who can interact that has foreknowledge because they've already lived through it, uh-huh. that they could totally could have stopped everything. Oh yeah. And he didn't because he had foreknowledge, regardless of a parallel universe or not. He had foreknowledge of what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the whole movie, basically, in my mind, ended before it even began. But, but okay. So what about uh, Twelve Monkeys? which is my favorite time travel movie, and which specifically addresses that issue by saying, even if you try to change the past, your attempt to change the past has already happened because it's in the past, so you yeah. can't. You, you can look at it from the time, the new time machine, well, the time machine, where he kept on trying to travel back in time to save his wife, and he couldn't because it was a fixed point in time. There are fixed points. Doctor oh, Who says Only because so. of Doctor <laughs> Who. It's only because of Doctor Who. That's just but that's the same thing. thing. You know, that's the same thing. He just presents it as an outright impossibility. 
why is it impossible that you can always go back further than when you last went and try and stop yourself from screwing it up? No, because it's in the past, so it's already happened. Your then journey. All you can ever past, do is to the future. Happened. So you can never change the past because even if you visit it, you've already been there. <laughs> they're still, they're still holding on. They're still holding on. Anyways, we are I, just, I, just, I just wanted to kind of yeah. pinch what I was No, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so we need to have we an ta- so we this travel is, back in time. In, to so in issue, issue five four. is uh, issue Dennis. Or, no, in issue five is uh-huh. Dennis's uh, whole theory and you know thing <laughs> on time travel. <laughs> no, no. If issue four is out, uh, there's a great uh, article uh, remembering the uh, Baron Woolen Mills. Uh, which is one of the, the most haunted locations here in Utah. Um, I don't know if it is now. Is it but, now because it's burned down? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I've been there several times on some paranormal investigations. Wasn't it an incredible building? It, it was a really cool building unless you went on the second floor and then you always had to go with – your your shoes would be covered oh, in pitch. Oh, yeah, yeah, you had to wear shoes. Um, but I there. had the unfortunate opportunity not to wear shoes in that building at yeah. one point. Oh. And that was because I was filming a movie. Yeah. But, it, there have been I have I've don't, heard don't audio clips uh, from things that they have gotten from there and pictures which are, are just have are been cr- downright creepy. Um, there was one guy that I know was on an investigation. Uh, his name is Doug. He was shutting down for the night, and he still had his recorder on. And they heard, they they played it for me later. He was walking. He tripped over something and fell down. And you audibly hear this. But then going back and hearing the video, there is some creepy old dude laughing. There is no one else in the building but him. <laughs> I believe it. And it's just like this EVP just rips across, and you're just like, what was that? I, it was just creepy. And then, you know, there was another picture they, they've shown me where they're out, because there's this area where they used to shear sheep, and they're mm-hmm. dumping into this trough, and there was water in there, and they could push it into the main building. And so there is a group of people out there, and there's this lady with her hand down, and there's this kind of misty image, and it's this little boy that has his hand up and is literally holding her hand, and you're just like, wow. I mean, there's no way that could be edited. So it's just, and there was a boy about that age uh-huh. that was actually pulled in one of the machines and, and just, he died. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people that died in there. There was a, reset, a lady that worked in the second floor because it was so hot she died of dehydration or something. Um, a groundskeeper. There was one of, point where I, we were on an investigation there was this uh, storage area and there's this chair that's always been in there and, and everyone has always said there's this chair that if you sit in it, someone will literally push you out. And that's always happened. And so we went in there and we're like, okay, we're going to try to... I'm never going to sit in that chair. Yeah, we're we're going to test this theory. And we went in, you know, and the chair was there earlier. And when we went in, the chair was gone. And we were the first group in there and, you know, we were talking to the guy. He's like, yeah, the chair's back there. And the chair was gone. We're like, what the heck? Because this is like the third night I've been there. And there's nothing there. And we're looking all around. And then the chair, we found the chair up on the highest shelf where no human, not even uh, uh, Peter Mayhew, if he was to come in there, could reach up and put the chair up there himself. I mean, we literally had to climb up the shelves to get the chair down. It's like, how did the chair get up there? So it, it, I'd heard those stories. Yeah, it's kind of it's interesting, but um, so it's too bad. Uh, and then you know, then. But uh, just to note that uh, Baron Will Mills in Brigham City burned down last year. Yeah, it, a young man. Young man from California. California. Who, who decided? You say that is that explains everything. It burned yeah. down, but you know he was from California. 
excuse. No. Well, well, no. The worst, the worst thing is it burnt down, and then he didn't admit he did it until he was already in California, and then told his parents. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then you got some other great stuff. Uh, there's an article that I actually wrote uh, talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You guys, uh, Stephanie Sharp actually has a, an article, a, kind of a farewell to our favorite Vulcan. So, yes. Uh, so we'll have to stop Spock bashing. Um, and then. Uh, David J. West has actually been continuing chapter four chapter of his four book. book. So he's been writing one chapter at a time. He, he did say this was his favorite chapter so far. Nice. And, and it's pretty good, so I suggest reading it. So, yeah, and then you got you got an author spotlight, uh, Girls Gone Geek, and, and then, of course, you know, Carter, Carter Reed, his little uh, uh, zombie stuff. So, and, and the issues are getting larger somewhat. Well. No? They, 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 they were supposed to, supposed to. I like to give uh, Dennis a hard time when he uh, when he jumps before he knows where he's going to land. Oh well. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're, we're it will get bigger. Yeah. Uh, we we should be at twenty four pages uh, next month. Next yeah, next issue or two. We have um, um, we have some uh, prospective um, salesmen uh, that are going to be selling ad space for us. Nice. Uh, so that's that's really the the hindrance is we can't. We can't print things without money. Yes. You know, we can put whatever we want online for pennies, but we can't print stuff without money. Um, so that's, Well understood. That's, that's, that's I understand that one. Yeah. So uh, that should be uh, remedied here shortly, and then uh, we'll have lots more options. So we want to talk to you next time we're on. We want to do a pledge drive. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We can do that. <laughs> wouldn't be too hard. We could do it over Google Hangouts. Even better. <laughs> Yeah, no. It's uh, the next issue should be eight pages bigger. We're uh, we're still working on um, logistics issues. I don't know if they're issues, but with our um, uh, cosplay centerfolds, we're going to start doing yeah. with cosplay tips. Um, and then uh, Girls Gone Geek has been pretty cool. Uh, we just added the uh, local author spotlight, uh, which is hopefully people enjoy. Um, so just a few other little things we're trying to add. To to be kind of unique in the yeah. in the market well, with, with different and as many local authors as we have, well, we have a ton. Y- yeah. it, you're not going to run out of any anytime soon. So, I mean, I can just think of a handful right off the top of my head besides Dan. Just we've already talked about during Everyone the show. Already knows everything about me. I know, but you know, you already threw out a bunch of names. I mean, D- Dan, are you saying you're an open book? Yes. <laughs> yes. So. All right, I don't have I don't have that sound effect. That would be awesome. Yeah. Oh, and uh, one more thing to note: we, oh. we we did take these pictures of the barrels ourselves. Nice. We, we went up there about a month after it burned down, and took some pictures. The, the cover photo is just kind of a uh, kind of a creepy, out of focus looking thing from behind the yeah uh, the chain link fence. fence. And then uh, we uh, you know trespassed a little bit and took some cool pictures from inside. <laughs> we live in St. George. <laughs> Actually, my, my favorite photo that we took when we were up there was actually in this issue. It's the, uh, it's an old uh, um, spin spinning wheel. Spin wheel. It's yeah. I mean, it's just well, you go up there and it's if you ever knew the building to begin with, seeing it in the way it is now is just absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, the building was creepy. Period. You know, but it's just creepy and unsafe. now it's even creepier and, and half destroyed. I mean, there was several times uh, stepping on the stairs like. Is this gonna collapse on me? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, wow. And plus, you know, underneath the main building, there's that giant water tank. 
Um, so I don't I don't know it because damaging the cement on there's that, that mainland. There's that old like uh, you mean like the old. Uh, well, there, well, there's the boiler, but there's the also boiler. an underground tank because oh. they would bring water in from the river behind it, and that's where they'd use a lot of the water. We did not see nearly enough of that building. No, apparently you didn't. Uh, yeah, it, it's very interesting how because it was a pretty self-contained system that they had built that they didn't really need to resources from other places. So it's kind of amazing what they did way back then. And that boiler is huge. It is very big. So it could almost rival, a, you know, the warp engine on the Enterprise. It's that massive. So Sure. <laughs> Sorry. You have the blueprints? Yeah. I mean, that, okay. Going back to Star Trek. That is one. That is that is one of the the cool things I did like when you know when you saw the interior of the engine room there was a bunch of pipes and everything going around it wasn't this weird creepy weird sci fi thing yeah column. it was this really uh, uh, believable thing you know just going seeing an engine room on a uh, you know one of these bigger ships it looked very similar to that you know especially the water pipes that I don't know how they transported into but you know they were getting sucked around it oh yeah yeah. That- so, I mean, that stuff is like, okay, yeah, I can really see this. It's not this weird science fiction stuff that's just glowy lights and tubes. So, okay, I'll, I'll move away because we don't got much time left. So, uh, so YouGeekMedia.com, right? UtahGeekMagazine.com. UtahGeek. I get it wrong every time. UtahGeekMagazine.com. We get, a, we get it wrong every time. Yeah, so you got content there. You can also pick up the issue uh from the website in PDF format, if not, or on the social media pages. And yeah, just to let you know, right now we're giving away uh, tickets to um, what? Anime Fanatiku in St. George. Anime Fanatiku, wow. So uh, go to our Facebook page at uh, it is the letter U Geek Media at yeah. Facebook and uh, enter to win some tickets. Sweet. You get a trip to St. George. You, you get tickets to the convention. <laughs> okay. Tickets to the convention, and you pay for your trip to St. George. go to St. George. Yes, which isn't too bad. It's kind of nice. You can go visit Snow Canyon. Yeah, Yeah. there's lots of stuff to do down there. All right, and then, uh, and I, uh, because you don't have, your website is completely different. It's not danwells.com. It's thedanwells.com. Okay, so you do have that one. So we have that one. You know, the the soap opera star we keep mentioning. He has danwells.com. So <laughs> okay. So screw him. The danwells.com. Uh, the danwells.com. And then uh, that one links to my blog, which is on a different site, but you can find the link from okay. there. So, and the blog right now is full of uh, interviews with, you know, behind the scenes with the production crew of the movie oh, wow. and, and things like that. And at some point, I keep promising to put up a uh, photo and, uh, and, and my little description of uh two of the actors uh the the girl playing Brooke and the lady playing Lauren which I haven't done yet but I will. Okay. So was it fun kind of doing that behind the scenes uh interviews with everyone that was associated with the movie? Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That was awesome. Nice. Um I did not get a chance to actually do video interviews with the cast unfortunately. Oh. Um particularly not with uh you know not with Chris because he was way too important. <laughs> and not with the two teens because there are incredibly strict rules on uh, what you can and can't, can't do, with uh, do with the teens on, on set. So Wow. That would have been cool to be able to at least have a small snippet I know. With, with Christopher Lloyd. But Oh, well. At least you've talked to him and mm-hmm. you can say, I've met Doc Brown and he's yelled at me or whatever. So what are some of these rules you can't do with 
teens. It's kind of well. That that's a really mean. creepy way to characterize. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But um, well, any child actor, weird. there's like, specific yeah, the, laws. The basic rules are, uh, you know, they can only be filming for a certain number of hours. Okay. They have to receive a certain number of hours of uh, educational tutoring oh, every day. Okay. Um, you know, there are uh, every actor has their own kind of contractual rules about uh, photos that can be used of them. And with teens, you know, you just want to be extra careful. Um, so I've I've posted pictures, you know, like me and Max, um, and I have a picture of me with Lucy, who's playing Brooke, and that's what will eventually be on my blog. But I wanted you to clarify because you made it sound kind of creepy. I know. I have okay. a, a knack for that. <laughs> helping you out there. Well, you do write creepy books. So, hey, that works, right? Yeah. All right. So... Besides Emerald City Comic Con, you did mention you're going to other ones. Is there any other place that people can catch you or for book signings, for or anything like that? Oh, man. All over. Uh, <laughs> but none of them are coming to mind right now. Okay. I know I'm going to be in Houston. I know I'm not going to be in Dallas, unfortunately, uh, Dallas Comic Con. Um, my website, again, thedanwells.com, has got an events page that has okay. everything that is scheduled thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can look that up there. Um, currently on that event schedule is Dragon Con, and it's looking like I might not make Dragon uh, Con, which is going to break my heart because it's like my favorite show. And you are going to Gen Con this year. I am going to be at Gen Con. I'm going to be on the author track. Uh, awesome. I'm going to be doing fun stuff. I need to twist some arms to make sure I get there this year. Dan, I yes, volunteered to go to Dragon Con for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll even sign the Perfect. books for you. I'll sign the books for you. <laughs> they don't know the Dan was. <laughs> Yes. If they tell you you don't look like Dan Wells, say, oh, that's just that soap opera guy. Yeah. <laughs> or just take a rubber stamp. I have hand cramps. So, all right. And then, so locally, you're going to be at Salt Lake Comic Con in September? Yes or no? Unfortunately not, because it's no. the same week as the Writing Excuses Retreat. Oh, that okay. And that is sad, because I love Salt Lake Comic Con, but... I'd rather go on a cruise. I, I I don't blame you. I'd rather go on a cruise too. I think I'd sacrifice Comic Con for that as well. Yeah, yeah. So okay, and then blasphemers. Uh, uh, I know. Lo- locals to Utah can find me uh, this Saturday at Writing for Charity, um, and then in June, June 16 and 17 are my two local signings, which are not on the events page yet, but because they were just confirmed yesterday. Yeah, so one will be. We'll get them up. Soon. Weller Books. Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake, and then Orem Barnes and Noble. Okay. Which the Weller one always seems to. There a lot of people show up to that one. Honestly, um, the Ornum Barnes and Noble is is usually where I'll, I'll get an even bigger. Oh, okay. Really? Because the, for whatever reason, you know, they're forty five minutes away from each other, mm-hmm. and yet people from one valley don't tend to go to signings in the other valley. Yeah, I, I know it's weird. So I do both signings, and the Utah Valley crowd is you know always comes out and represents uh, really big. So yeah, I, I've noticed that it's always weird. Like my own brother. You know, I'm just in Saratoga Springs, not too far from, you know, Salt Lake County. And yet it's, I always get, oh, my gosh, it's that's so such far a away. far drive. It's People like today. Sometimes drive to Utah Valley just to get to the restaurant I like. <laughs> you know, you can you can go there for a book signing. Yeah, it, it's on. not that long. But, uh, okay, that works. No no, no crazy hat this time. Because last time you had the wizard hat. Um, I do not have plans to wear a crazy hat. Okay. I do have... A number of crazy hats. Uh, yeah. So we'll see. So will it, will it be just you, or is it going to be teamed up with it Mary like it was last time? It's going to be me. Okay. Uh, we had Mary for the Hollow City one, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, but this one, I mean, I haven't made any plans. Maybe I'll decide to do something awesome. But okay. You know, 
I, the shadow puppetry stuff she did was pretty cool. And then, yeah. yeah. But this is the start of a new John Cleaver. I need to do something. You need to do something big. But I don't know what yet. Okay. Very nice. All right. Well, everyone, you've you've heard that. Uh, you guys have any last-minute questions you want to throw out or last-minute things? All right. Well, whoever the supervillains are that wrote us, okay. Um, bring it on, I guess. <laughs> They're watching we'll us. take you. Yes. So, uh, and go out. If you haven't picked up I'm Not a Serial Killer, pick it up. It was definitely worth the read, or the Partial Series, or Hollow City. Oh, my gosh. Is there any other ones I'm missing? Oh, Mr. Uh, Monster. Okay, we're running well, out of time. Yes. But, uh, yeah, um, my ebook uh, that I self-published called A Night of Blacker Darkness. Oh, yes. Uh, it is a historical vampire farce is the best way to explain that one. And uh, I'm actually adapting that one as a stage play, Ooh. along with my sister, who uh, runs a theater in Tennessee. And this fall, in October, for Halloween, we will be producing that play in Athens, Tennessee, uh, where my brother-in-law is the theater director, okay. um, and here at UVU. Ooh. So we are going to have, you know, it's going to be full-on stage show, so that can be your Halloween treat for yourself. So, yeah, I love Halloween. It's it's oh, yeah. it's gonna be awesome. Uh, the the book is really funny, uh, but ever since I wrote it, I knew that it's it would work so much better on a stage than it would, you know, on a page. Yeah. So, we're finally doing it, and it has been so fun to get. I've never done scripting before. I've always yeah. done prose, uh, but it's been fascinating to work in, and uh, the play is just gonna be hilarious. All right. Well, we got something to look forward to, even though it's March. Uh, yeah. Oh man, seven no, months away. It's not close enough. I mean, seriously. You like, gotta give us time to figure out what we're doing. Age, you know, you know, Age of Ultron is in May, and May is not here fast enough. <laughs> so, does doesn't the new Star Wars movie come out this December? Yep. <sighs> it's not close even enough. Even with Age of Ultron and the new Star Wars movie, my play is still the biggest. Oh, I'll still, yeah, I'll still, I love that type of stuff. You know, I love going to the Off-Broadway Theater up in Salt Lake for that type of stuff. It's hilarious. So, I'm totally, I'm totally on board. And UVU is not too far. Because i got to drive around the lake. Yeah, you got to drive all <laughs> the way there. Speaking of December being so far away, yes. is Abrams still trying to uh, push forward the release date of Star Wars? No. He, he gave that up? Yeah. As far as I... I, I heard. That's the last I'd heard. But he all I can for, say... For a big movie like that, you'd rather have December than November. That's why yeah. they, apparently that's so. why they wanted it, but he, yeah. they're, they're like done with it. Yeah. Really? He, yeah. He's done. They're done. It, they're just sitting on it. Yeah. So why are they not doing it in the summer? Well, it's yeah. because they don't want to hit all the Marvel... It, oh, in the middle of all the Marvel, Marvel. blockbusters. because they're all owned by Disney. They don't want to cannibalize themselves. Yeah. Right. yeah. It, it makes sense. Honestly, though, but come on. Well, the primary audience for this... Everyone at this table is going to see both of those movies like three times in the theater anyway, regardless of what month they come out. So Very true. they got to wait for Battlefront to get done. Yeah, there they, we go. It's, it's the merchandising. Yeah. yeah. So all yeah, the, all, all the action true. figures yeah. for the Marvels are going to come out, and they don't want to compete with the... I don't, like all the I don't McDonald's... Know. No, I, I'm sure that's, exactly. that is part of it, is you know, the merchandising, but... Whatever. Oh, well, I still go see it. I'll still buy three of the... No, just that just means I don't have to wait any more longer for a, a decent Star Wars movie. And no... We're hoping it's decent. No Jar Jar Binks. Yay. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm not sure. Watch something even worse. That would be... 
that would be funny if you put it in there and then it got killed. Did, did they take out the Gungans along with the expanded frontier you were talking about? Well, <laughs> who knows? I'm guessing the that, Gungans that, got wiped out because we've never seen them again. Yeah, I, I, I would yeah. be okay with it. I think yeah. the comic relief in the new movies should be like a totally senile Admiral Akbar. Yeah, that would be awesome. In a rest home with a little hover wheelchair or something. It's a trap! Can't hear anything. It thinks everything is a trap. We're just here to talk to you. It's a trap! That battle battle totally, you know, uh, scarred him for life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. With that said, we've got 60 seconds. We're out of here. Uh... If you haven't already, check out Dan's books. They're great. They're wonderful. Some are creepy. Some are awesome. But they're all amazing. Uh, check those out. Check out uh, com. Utah Geek Magazine. Utah Geek Magazine.com. He got it. I didn't. Or Geek uh, Media yes, on Twitter. There it is. And we will catch you next week.